All right. Thank you for joining us. Our show today, How Your Intention is Connected to Health and Wellness. Most people tend to think of intention like placing an order with the universe. In other words, what you think about, you're going to get. But is it really that simple? I don't think so. And neither do I think my guest, my very special guest, I don't think she thinks that as well. But today on the Natural Health 365 podcast, we'll focus our attention, no pun intended, on the power of, in, of our thoughts and how this concept might be used to dramatically improve the quality of our life physically, mentally, and emotionally. Please join me in welcoming Lynn McTaggart to our show. Lynn, welcome. Hi, it's lovely to be with you. Yeah, you know, we were talking a little bit before we uh, recorded this show, Lynn, and I had mentioned to you, this is something I wanted to share with our audience that I think is really amazing and probably somewhat related to the show and what we're about to talk about. You and I believe Dr. Bernie Siegel and Candice Pert, PhD, may her you know, soul be resting in peace, um, I interviewed all three of you way back at the beginning with a website that doesn't even exist anymore that I had. But my intention back then was to do great shows with great people like you and to help educate people, help people. Here we are, fast forward eight years later. I'm sitting in a brand new audio video studio that we've built where it's really, I'm super excited. We're going to be putting out so many videos and people are going to see a lot of stuff that's happening around here behind the scenes like they've never seen before at Natural Health 365. And here it is. I'm taking care of hundreds of thousands of people every month that are engaged in our articles, in our podcasts. So, you know, I couldn't agree more that intentions have a lot to do with our life. And you certainly were a big inspiration way back at the beginning when I was trying to create all of this work online. So I'm super excited to have you on, Lynn. Oh, that's so great, Jonathan. I'm so glad I was there at the beginning. And now to see the, the real blossoming of it. Yeah, you really were. So let's just jump right into it with the first having you cover, because I know you've really dived deep into this topic for years and years. Let's just start off first with talking about what your definition of intention is. Talk to us about it, please. Well, a lot of people think about intention as essentially just I believe I receive, basically, you know, and that's what's been around in the, you know, in popular books, in the, in popular movies, the whole idea that, yeah, you put your little order into the universe and it automatically responds, but people don't realize that the new science shows that we are leaky buckets, that we are beaming out our thoughts at every moment out to the universe, and the universe hears this. So it's not just that little power thought we may have when we meditate in the morning, but it's all of the judgments we hold, all the negative self-talk we have, all of the flotsam and jetsam that goes through our heads. You know, every last mendacious thought we have, that also is an intention out there. And that essentially collectively becomes our life's intention. You know, when I was in uh, organized religious uh, circles earlier on in my life, it's funny. I don't know why I just thought of this, but exactly. Here it is, a whole group of people gathering together, you know, inside of a temple. It's for 
prayer, and I'm, I'm kind of saying this like a joke, and everybody's together, and we're talking about God, and it's a beautiful experience, right? We're all together sharing in something very spiritual. And then when it was all broken, what happened was everybody raced to the uh, food table to get food, and they were cutting in line and doing— I mean, <laughs> imagine, here it is, we're talking about God and how it's important to understand where we are in this whole planet and who we are as beings. And then all of a sudden, after that all broke, everybody's cutting in line and trying to get the food as fast as possible. So it's true. It's like, here we are, we're meditating. But then during the day, maybe we're busy doing a bunch of other things that are kind of contraindicated. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Suddenly all that kindness and compassion goes out the window when food is there, right? Right, exactly. So look, you wrote a, a huge book. Lots of people know The Intention Experiment, which inspired thousands to participate in a worldwide healing project. We get that, or at least a lot of people I know out there have heard of that. Why did you try the experiment with a small group of eight after doing that? Totally by accident. I mean, I was trying to figure out how to scale this down to a workshop. Um, you know, I had started The Intention Experiment Really, as a total experiment, I didn't really think it was going to work, to be honest, Jonathan. I, w I thought we might get some very subtle effects, but I was shocked when it really worked. I mean, it really worked. We've run 33 experiments to date, everything from trying to make seeds grow faster to um, purifying water to lowering violence in violent and war-torn areas to healing someone of post-traumatic stress disorder and Every single time, we have, you know, we have demonstrated in those 33 experiments, in 29 of them, um, positive, significant, mostly significant, measurable effects. So we've beat most pharmaceutical drugs. They don't have that kind of consistent track record. So I was starting to get these kind of positive responses, and I started thinking to myself, well, there's something here. What if we used it on individuals? But how am I going to do that? And how am I going to do this in a workshop? I hadn't run too many workshops before. Um, yeah, I'm an investigative reporter initially in my life. Um, that's my background and training. So I had a lot of skepticism, natural skepticism, of most journalists. And I'm, I'm certainly not a personal development trainer. So I tried to kick, kicking around how to do this. And I'm sitting there talking to my husband one day about it, and I said, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll put them in groups of eight or so and have them send healing intention to someone in the group with a health challenge. And he is a great natural headline writer, being a journalist himself, and he turned to me and said, yeah, I love it, the power of eight. And that was how it started, completely by accident. We were in Chicago for this first workshop. I put people into groups of eight. I asked them to send to nominate someone with a health challenge, frame the intention with a group, etc. And I knew a lot about how to do intention. That was all about my, you know, I had researched it thoroughly for the intention experiment, and I'd also not only looked at the science, but worked with master intenders, like Qigong masters and master healers. But I wasn't really sure how to advise them to do it in a small group. So I'm basically saying, well, you know, hold hands, make sure it's a circle, make sure it's unbroken, do this, do that, you know, and I'm kind of making it up as I go along. So I expected it was going to be, you know, the effects were going to be a little bit like a feel-good effect, like a facial. 
Um, so I asked everybody the next day when they came back for the recipients of this intention to stand up on the stage and report on it. And I thought it was a feel, going to be a feel-good effect. That was emphatically not what happened. I mean, they stood up and said things like this. You know, my, I have uh, a terrible and painful knee, and I can't walk normally, and I'm walking normally today. Um, I have IBS, and my gut is normal. I have terrible depression. It feels like it's lifted. I have cataracts, and I'm 80% better. You know, and on and on and on it went like this. And so I was just dumbfounded, as was my husband. And we both put it down to a placebo effect until it started happening again and again and again in every workshop I ran. And I've run thousands of groups now. But also, not only among the senders, but also the or the receivers, but also the senders, they were having effects too. And we were having effects outside of these groups with people who weren't even conscious, you know, babies, fetuses in the womb, people who were in comas, you know, all kinds of things like that who did not know intention was being sent for them. So it started me thinking that there was really something here, and that became the 10-year exploration that resulted in my book, The Power of Eight. You know, I know Emoto talked about it with water. You mentioned purifying water. It's just a very interesting stuff that he did in terms of his work displaying or showing that there must have been some sort of energetic influence, some power of a whole bunch of people, you know, circling, you know, putting right in the middle of the circle of all these people who are directing their intention or their thoughts towards water in a more hateful and destructive way and what that energetic effort, if you will, did to the structure of the water versus a whole bunch of people expressing love and really wonderful feelings at the same time and how that changed the structure of the water into something absolutely magnificent and beautiful. And then he showed how the water crystals from very toxic places looked like downright dark and evil and the most pristine waters in the world, how absolutely gorgeous they looked under a microscope. So, I mean, there really must be something about the energetic imprint of this invisible thing, I guess, that we call thought, no? Oh, yeah. Well, we now know from a lot of new science that thoughts aren't locked inside our heads, that they are trespassers. Um, we know from the work of the late Fritz Albert Pop that um, all human beings, all living things, emit a tiny current of light, and that this light is answered synchronicitously by other living things. So it's like we're having a light conversation with the universe all the time, a conversation of light. So um, there is some thought that thoughts are part of this light energy, too. We certainly know that the light emissions change uh, when healers are sending healing. That's been studied in the laboratory. They, you know, their, their light increases. So, and it goes out of their dominant hand when they are, you know, sending healing intention. So something is going on there that 
moves outside of us. And certainly those thoughts about healing aren't locked inside our heads. We're, that's very, very evident. It's evident in not only those kinds of things, but in a lot of the studies that I've done with the intention experiment. You know, that we are affecting plants or water or violence, whatever, from thousands of miles away. I mean, one of the first studies I did on trying to make plants grow faster involved um, four batches of seeds, 30 seeds each. This was set up by the University of Arizona with Dr. Gary Schwartz, the noted psychologist, and his lab. And they sent us photos of all four sets of seeds. I was about to speak in Sydney, Australia, so I decided to run the experiment there in front of an audience of about 700. So I showed them all the seeds. They randomly chose one set. We didn't tell the scientists which ones we chose. We set intention to those seeds. I then told the scientists it was done, didn't tell them the seeds yet. They planted them, measured them five days later, and at that point I unblinded the study and said, yeah, they were seeds D or whatever it was. And it turned out the seed scent intention grew significantly higher than the controls. And we ran that study five more times in various places around the world and also with my audience over the Internet. And every single time the seed scent intention grew significantly higher than controls. Now, the interesting thing about this is twofold. Number one, the seeds were in Tucson, Arizona in this first study. We were in Sydney, Australia, 8,000 miles away. The second interesting thing about it was we weren't sending intention to the thing itself, the seeds. We were sending intention to a photographic representation of the seeds, you know, a symbol of the seeds, and yet we had an effect. So this kind of demonstration shows us that our thoughts create like a psychic Internet with other things in the universe and that we do have an effect when, they, when we focus on a particular target. Are there certain beliefs, Lynn? I want to get it. There's so many questions rattling around in my brain now, as I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> but let's just start off with certain beliefs that you feel somebody would have to have inside them to do this. You know, talk about what perhaps might be required to really enable someone to perhaps help themselves or even in certain cases, even more importantly, help someone that they love, you know, in their family or some friends that they know? Okay, well, so here's the interesting thing about it, Jonathan. You don't necessarily have to believe this to be affected by it. I've had many people who are very skeptical be part of Power of Eight groups and have a healing. I mean, one of the most notable was somebody I wrote about in my book, The Power of Eight, his name was Luke. He was 15 years old, and his stepfather wrote to us in a frantic sense because Luke had broken up with his first serious girlfriend and in a fit of existential adolescent angst had jumped off a 40-foot structure onto hard ground. So Luke, as I say, was 15, and he'd broken everything in his body. He survived. But everything was broken, he had nerve damage, he had brain damage, and the doctors really didn't think he was going to live. So we set up, at his father-in-law's request, or at his stepfather's request, a healing intention for him, and we did it on three 
successive Sundays while his stepfather kept a running commentary of what was going on with Luke. And Luke seemed to respond amazingly positive to uh, positively to everything, every time we sent intention. Just right after that, he had a major breakthrough in his healing in some way. Now, Luke got out of the hospital in record time, which was great. It might have been good doctoring, but maybe it was our intention. But here's the thing. I know it wasn't a placebo effect, and I know it wasn't a result of belief, belief. Because Luke, like most adolescents, thought his parents' belief in the power of intention was stupid. Right. And so that is interesting. Then it's as you said, it really is an influence from the outside that we either receive, right, or that we can possibly send. But I still have to ask you, Lynn, does it help if someone, and I'm going to say this in the the most blunt way possible, who maybe perhaps is vibrating at a high vibrational rate, you know, they're really super healthy, super spiritual. Does that make this kind of thing more powerful or not at all? Well, I think, you know, what we've seen in some of the studies is that when, say, healers are sending healing intention to someone, the most favorable results are when both the healer and the subject both believe in it. So they have this kind of double uh, double belief system going on where they're, you know, they both believe in the power of intention. Yes, that produces the best outcomes. But the point is that you don't have to have belief in it in order to be affected positively by it. I think the senders would have to be believers, although I've had people who have been senders um, in Power of Eight groups who are skeptical and are amazed by what happens to them. So I think it's an essential power we all hold that gets amplified in these small groups. And there is an amazing situation that gets, uh, that gets created. And I know that there's plenty of reasons for it. Part of it is intention. Part of it is a group effect. You know, there's Groups create, as psychologists have called it, collective effervescence. What's interesting is that one of the key pieces with intention and intention circles is altruism. Although people who are in a group will get intention for themselves sometimes, a lot of the times they're sending out intention to someone else. And the science of altruism is really amazing. It demonstrates that when people do things for other people, they live longer, healthier, happier lives. There's no question. And what I have found for so many people with these intention groups is that when they get off of themselves, that's when miracles happen in their own lives. That's when the miracles start. 100%. Lynn, I I couldn't agree with you more. I've heard this so many times with some of the top integrative healthcare providers in the entire world that I've done, you know, almost 500 programs now in the last many years. And they always say the same thing. Our greatest problems are when, and again, I say this with all due respect, when we are so focused on ourselves, we become so self-absorbed. And again, I'm saying this very non-judgmentally, but that is the practical reality of what it is. We dwell on things that we feel so bad about. We think that we're the only ones with the problem. We're constantly thinking, I, I, me, me. 
And when that is the focus of our life, we tend to struggle so much more than when if I just simply think, what can I do for others who are listening to this show, for example? Or how can I highlight your great work, Lynn, and how grateful I am for the kind of things that you do? It just makes me feel so much better, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's what the power of these Power of Eight groups is all about. I mean, I had uh, a woman called Andy in one of my year-long intention masterclass groups. The first one I ran, where I was actually studying people month by month over an entire year to find out what happened to them. And for most people in the groups who were meeting regularly, pretty much 100% of them were having major life transformations in their health, in their finances, in their careers, in their relationships, with their life's purpose. But a few were not, and one of those people was Andy. And I was working with her, and her group was working with her, and they were trying everything. Andy wanted to get a new job. She had sold her gift store business. Uh, She had two children. She was getting a divorce. She needed money. But she couldn't get anything. She had no leads. Every time she went for a lead or went for an interview, she just didn't get the job. And she was young, talented, uh, had a lot of experience in marketing and coaching, and just couldn't get anywhere. So after a while, I just got fed up and said, Andy, just get off of yourself and intend for someone else. And just about that time, Luke, the young boy who nearly killed himself, um, his story came along, and so I said, Andy, start focusing on Luke. So she did, and the very moment she did, that next week, she got a call out of nowhere offering her her dream job. And that has happened so many times that I don't think it's about chance anymore. Something about us getting off of ourselves, not being so focused on self-help, being focused on other help, uh, is a real powerful powerful um, currency in the universe. Lynn, I want you to talk a little bit more about the science. You know, for anyone out there who's more, you know, left brain oriented, I think it's important. But I do want to say one other thing that seems to really back up what you're saying. And I've heard this countless times before. I've seen it in my own personal life. You know, when people are talking about how They don't think they'll ever find a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's exactly what you were saying. And they're so worried about themselves and what's going to happen if they do a breakup or something. And then all of a sudden they just go and do it and they don't care anymore. And they just go on with the day. And then all of a sudden things open up for them and their life changes for so much the better when just maybe literally a day or a week earlier, they were so worried about themselves in their future. But then as soon as they just stopped worrying and just got busy doing things and helping others, things just sort of fell into place. They met new people. They got into new experiences. So I couldn't agree with you more. I have heard that countless times before. But for those people who are a little skeptical out there, what about the science? Can you talk about that a little bit more? Sure. I mean, there is an entire book's worth, my book, The Intention Experiment, on the science of intention. Many, many scientists have done studies demonstrating that thoughts, just individual sending thoughts, can affect everything from single-celled organisms to other human beings. 
I mean, there are very, very, very solid studies of everything. Um, with my intention experiments, as I mentioned, we have 33 experiments demonstrating that this stuff works. Um, for instance, and I've worked with scientists always measuring data. So some of the most intriguing of the studies were the batch of studies I did with peace intention experiments. Um, and one of the more recent one was 2017 when I had a six-day study with thousands of people around the globe sending intention to the most violent place in America, which is northern St. Louis, Missouri. Now, we took three years' worth of crime data before our intention experiment and then six months afterward, monthly crime data, for all of St. Louis and then this just neighborhood, this little neighborhood that we'd sent intention to, which had the most violent street in the entire world, essentially. And we sent intention at least for, you know, outside of a war zone. And we we sent intention to that area. And then my scientists measured this, the before and afterward, and plotted it. And they found that for all of St. Louis, violent crime continued to go up. For all of St. Louis, property crime continued to go up. For Fairground, the area we were focusing on, property crime continued to go up. But for violent crime in Fairground, the focus of our intention violence went down by 43%. So, and it has continued to stay down where it, it carried on going up for every other neighborhood just about in St. Louis. So that was a really clear test and indication that something is going on here. And there is a lot of science about the power of thoughts now that make us understand that we are not solid and stable things with our thoughts locked inside our heads. I mean, the work of the late Carl Pribram demonstrated that memory and possibly other cognitive, higher cognitive functions don't even sit in our brains at all, that our brains are much more like an antenna receiver where we are beaming in and beaming out information. Um, but it's not, it doesn't stay there. We pull it in from the field, essentially. And so we have to get beyond the idea of thinking that the brain equals consciousness. You know, there's so much evidence demonstrating otherwise. Just looking at work on near-death experience survivors, Pin van Lommel is a Dutch cardiologist who has studied this, written about it, published it in medical journals. And he studies these cases, and he's found that at points when people were supposedly dead, they were totally conscious of everything going on around them. For instance, one fellow who was Dutch who came in from a car accident into a hospital and was totally unconscious and was declared dead for a while. And when they have that kind of emergency situation, there's usually a crash cart where um, the hospital people, the nurses, etc., will quickly take the person's clothes and things as they rush them into an emergency place and get the paddles out and everything else. So they did with him, and they managed, after a while, to revive him. Now, when he came in, as I say, he was declared clinically dead. And after he was revived and he woke up, and the next day he said to the doctor, would you ask that pretty blonde nurse to get all of my things, my glasses and my teeth that are on that cart? Now, that was all taken off of him when he was dead. 
and yet he still knew and remembered all of that. It is amazing. I want you to talk about this a little bit more, Lynn, in terms of people might be thinking of, well, this sounds like when someone is praying for someone else, or perhaps they're even praying for themselves, right? Or they might be thinking of perhaps just the practice of sitting in a quiet place and meditating, you know, like TM or something like that. Is it, what is it that's in common with all of this when it comes to what you're talking about here today? Well, I think what's in common with all of this, with, with other stories of coma victims, you know, there was a story of a guy who got run over, um, and he was in the southwest of America, and they, were, they thought he was dead. They, they were ready to harvest his organs. And they did a final test on him, you know, with something touching one of his feet to just check a reflex, and he moved. And they suddenly realized that he was alive. And when they talked to him afterward, he was conscious of everything that had been going on, that they were about to cut him open, they were about to take his organs out, etc. So once again, if the brain is a computer, this was another instance where the computer is unplugged. And yet, this person was aware of everything going on. So that would suggest that consciousness is not inside the brain. It exists somewhere else, and it is able to register a lot of those things, even when we are supposedly dead. So it it brings a whole other dimension to the idea of consciousness. Then we also see all all of the evidence that exists for the power of thoughts to not only be things, but things that affect other things. That would, again, suggest that thoughts aren't just these ephemeral electrical firings that are inside our brain. Without a doubt. And Bernie Siegel, who I believe I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast with you, Lynn, I remember way back eight years ago when he was so passionately talking about how he deeply respected a lot of these concepts as well. They thought he was a nut job playing music, talking to the quote unquote unconscious patient on the table and how in the operating room it was just very important to be mindful of these things, no pun intended at all, in terms of the influence that anybody would have on this individual and how the classical music was actually used to help the patient to recover more quickly after surgery. I mean, we hear about these things. It can't possibly be our conscious mind when we're wide awake. These people are under anesthesia. They're totally out of it, supposedly, yet they are being influenced in a positive way when you do the right thing. You know what I'm saying, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yes, they've seen so much evidence that um, that uh, even the doctor's thoughts um, when, you know, if <laughs> I've heard a story recently of doctors when they're, uh, when they're doing some surgery, like to play Another One Bites the Dust, <laughs> because they like the beat of it. But um, that messaging <laughs> is not a positive message. People are picking this up, even when they're under anesthesia. And so we have to change everything about what we think about the idea of thoughts being locked inside our heads. That's one of the things that I do a lot with people on my retreats, on my workshops, in my year-long intention master class, is to show people 
how leaky they are all the time. When they can send thoughts to perfect strangers over telephones, connections, and have them pick up exactly what they're thinking. You know, that's scary. It starts saying, well, yeah, you're, what you're beaming out to the world becomes your reality. And I also think it's important. It's something I've talked about a lot on my programs, Lynn. I just want to get your quick feedback before we get into how people out there listening could actually start one of these groups on their own. I think that'll be a great way to finish up the program. But before we get there, I'm, I'm thinking about so many things that you've already talked about today, this light energy, how we are senders and receiver of light. And I just can't help think that the message I've been putting out for years is just so important. I've got it, you know, again, from friends of mine as well in this industry, the health and wellness industry, talking about raising your vibrational energy by the food and the drink that you have. I think on a very practical level, the way we give our appreciation, our gratitude, we send out a blessing, if you will, before we eat, that we make sure we eat the best quality food possible. The reason why I'm saying I feel all of this is so important is because that light energy, if you will, you know, walking in a forest and getting the energy, uh, forest walking, which we know in Japan is a big deal in terms of helping people to heal, getting the energy of nature to be transmitted into our body. All of these things that I'm talking about literally are things that feed us really good energy and turn us into very different beings. Is that fair to say? Well, I, you know, I, I'm editor of a magazine called What Doctors Don't Tell You, and, you know, it's, I've now been, uh, I founded this with my husband 30 years ago, and we've been writing for many years about the es- essential elements of health being, you know, the, the proper food and nutrition, um, the right supplements the right exercise and involvement in nature, and, the, and a big other piece of it being community. All of these things are going to create health for you, and health is going to create your presence in the world, your thoughts in the world. They're going to contribute to all of that. So absolutely, that's really important. You know, it's the whole Buddhist idea of right thinking, right doing, you know, right being. So someone out there is obviously going to be very motivated for sure. Can they start a group like this on their own? Do they have to have special training and get a certification? You know, I'm only kidding. But what, what, what would you say to sure. someone who might be interested? What do you think? Okay. Well, there are techniques involved that we haven't really talked about on this podcast. Um, a lot of what's out there in the general press you know, about this manifestation and law of attraction stuff, it doesn't really talk about the right times, the right places, the right heart state, the right mind state. It's not like meditation. It's a highly focused state. So there are certain techniques. I call them 13 keys to intention mastery. Um, I've listed them in summary in my book, The Power of Eight. So people can need to work on how they intend One of the key elements is being specific. Tell the universe exactly what you want. Most people think, oh, I shouldn't be specific. I should let the universe decide. Well, that's more like prayer. That's more like saying, God, you decide what's best for me. This is very different. And you need a highly focused mind state, and there are ways to achieve that that I talk about in my book. 
So for people who want to set it up an, a power of eight group for themselves, they'll find all the, the essentials in my book. And they can either create one of themselves from their friends. Uh, it doesn't have to be exactly eight. It can be six. It can be 12. Eight is like a Goldilocks figure. You know, it's not too big. It's not too small. But it's not the only possibility. Um, if they don't have seven other friends then who would like to take part, they can join on my website, lynnmctaggart.com forward slash forum. If they join up there, they can join one of the existing Power of Eight groups that are there in their time zone that are always advertising for more people. Or they can put out a little uh, message themselves saying that I live you know, in this time zone and I'd love to have some more people be part of my group. They can do that. For more in-depth instruction, I run a master class once a, a year starting every January. I run different kinds of online courses um, like Become a Better Healer Through the Power of Eight, which will be in June. And also, I have a retreat in Spain this year that's, um, uh, we're going to be in the Rioja district of Spain uh, with some of the best wine in the world. And we're holding it in two former monasteries, now luxury hotels. Because what I have found is when you do a Power of Eight group in a sacred setting, like last year in our retreat in Tuscany, we did it in the tomb of St. Francis of Assisi. It is extraordinarily powerful. So we'll be doing that there, and we'll be going very deeply, particularly with people when they find their intentions aren't coming true. Most of the time, that has to do with the past getting in the way. I'd love to see you out here in Florida if you ever get a chance. I know it's not as exotic as Spain, but... You keep us in mind over here at Natural Health 365 because if you're ever in the Florida, Orlando area, you've got a friend over here, and I'm looking forward to doing some more with you, more in a live setting. That would be great. Hey, for those people who are interested, no doubt about it, be sure to pick up Lynn's book, The Power of Eight. And hey, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to say thanks, I've got a great way for you to tell us and keep your immune system healthy and strong at the same time. Head over to naturalhealth365store.com and check out some of the many high-quality nutritional supplements in our store. You'll love it, and we really appreciate your support. Lynn, that was a great show, and uh, I want to thank you so much for being with us. Do you have any final words for our audience? Yeah, well, if people want to check out all of my other things, they should come to my website, lynnmctaggart.com. And there, for people who sign up who aren't part of it, there are more intention tips as two free downloads, as a video, an audio, and a download as well. And also, just my final tip is really, when you're trying to heal yourself or heal the world, don't play small. Always seek power in numbers. That is so great. And okay, that's all for today. Really enjoyed being with you, Lynn. And I know that our audience really enjoyed this as well. We'll have many more great shows for you coming soon. Thanks again for being with us. Talk to you soon. Take care.